You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Oh, have we got a show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Have we got a show for you tonight? Well, to this morning, really, actually, well... I am recording at night, as, as most of you know from the previous episode. We've moved Nest Talk recordings to Thursday night before the podcast airs just to give us some more time in the morning for everybody to get it instead of recording it about 9 a.m. in the morning. Maybe you want to listen to it listen to it on your way to work or something like that. But anyway, I am Christopher Linfont, ladies and gentlemen, host of the Nest Talk podcast, the weekly podcast, all things Baltimore Ravens, and some general NFL and football stuff coming at you from Baltimore this evening and have I mean we've got a great show ahead for you we have a lot to talk about here as the offseason is starting to get into gear and I don't usually would refer to the offseason as getting into gear but we are getting some really interesting developments specifically with the new collective bargaining agreement the CBA the NFLPA the Players Association and the the owners are debating about. Now, the owners have cleared it. It's been voted on. It's been confirmed that the owners are okay. It was not a unanimous decision with the CBA by the owners. It is now on to the players tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to respond and vote for or against the CBA. Now, there are some very, very interesting things on the CBA. There's um, also Ravens news, of course. We're not going to talk about that right away because the CBA is probably the most pressing issue in the National Football League right now. With the combine coming up, with the offseason getting on into full swing here, we want to get to that CBA. Um, but we will talk about Tony Jefferson's release from the Ravens and James Hurst's four-game suspension. Both those things happened on last Friday. We're going to get into that later in the podcast, but of course we have to get into the CBA first. But before we do that, I want to keep up on our housekeeping. As you know, we here at the Nest Talk Podcast want to bring you the best Ravens podcast every single week, every Friday morning, released a new episode. We're going straight through the offseason with the format, one-hour episode every Friday. So how are you going to, loyal Ravens flock members, receive this podcast and share it with your friends? Well, you have to subscribe to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Subscribe to get it in your feed automatically. Give us a rating wherever you're listening to it. It helps us reach new listeners. Of course, tell your friends about the Nest Talk podcast. Share it on social media, whatever. If you want to reach us on social media, if you want to yell at me for a take, you know, I don't care. Come yell at me. I'll, I'll yell back at you. Well, not really. We'll have a nice conversation. Um, you can find me at Chris Linfon on Twitter, but more importantly, you can find the Nest Talk podcast on Twitter at Nest Talk. You can find the Baltimore Feather at Be More Feather as well. If you want to find us on Facebook, just search up Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk on Facebook. Um, if you want to just email us, you can find our email and contact page on BaltimoreFeather.com. Just click on uh, the contact. I believe it's under About. Uh, you can find us there. So yeah, any questions for them if you would like. Um, Otherwise, we're going to get straight into the show here. And again, the collective bargaining agreement is, in my opinion, the single biggest, not issue, but single single biggest story in the NFL right now. Now, this collective bargaining agreement has the chance to be revolutionary for the game of football, or at least the NFL's version of the game of football, because the XFL's going on, doing its own thing right now. But the NFL here with this CBA has some things I'm not so crazy about, has some things I really, really like. Now, 
Of course, it's up to the players, and my opinion on it was the players were going to accept this, but it looks like some of the leaders of, of really the Players Association, I'm not sure who's leading the Players Association at this point, but some of the bigger name players, J.J. Watt specifically, has, has come out and said he's voting no. There's no way he wants a CBA. And the main reason for that is the 48.5% figure and what this figure means. And we'll get into the rest of the finances because that's a huge portion of the CBA. But this 48.5 figure, okay, players will get, or I'm sorry, is it 48.5 or 48%? Either way, it's around 48%. 48%. Players will get 48% of this revenue over 17 games. Now, in a business like the NFL, now this is revenue, remember, this is not profit. Now, I'm not exactly sure how the NFL differentiates itself, but the conventional way to put this would be revenue and profit are separate things. Profit is money left over after expenses. Revenue is, you know, just money accumulated. Now, the NFL spends a lot of money every single year. They also make a lot of money, okay? We're not saying 48% of the profit of the NFL is going to the players. 48% of total revenue. What the NFL's actual expenditures are, the money they have to spend, you know, before they earn a profit, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows that outside the NFL circles. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I think it's a safe assumption to say the NFL's making a lot of money right now. So the players are upset, or at least a lot of them are about the 48% of revenue, especially with that added game. They want at least 50% of the revenue. Now, I don't want to get controversial here because there's a lot of ways people can think about this. But the players are essentially the workforce in the National Football League. Just like any other union would, the NFLPA is trying to get the highest amount of pay for their players. And right now, I don't know but a, how it's going to work out with the NFLPA, but a lot of individual players are unhappy with this 48% number. I, I tweeted out, basically, I didn't see how they are going to get rid of this. I mean, there's a lot of good financial things in here for them, very good financial things. But I think that 48% number is it might be the Achilles heel of this collective bargaining agreement. So I already mentioned I let the cat out of the bag on the 17-game season. That's right, 17 games of NFL football. At first, that sounds great, okay? But then you realize the season already feels long. It feels very long already, and now we're adding another game to it. We're, we're subtracting a preseason game. So one of the caveats is there's going to be three preseasons if everything on the collective bargaining agreement is accepted. There'll be only three preseason games, seventeen total games. So you're, you you know you have one more meaningful game, but you're also losing that preseason game. And look, from a fan perspective, I understand where the appeal is going to be on that, because you know what, screw the preseason. That's pretty much most fans thinking about the preseason. But I, I you know my estimation, the preseason is very valuable for finding young talent, for finding undrafted guys, and, and one game could make or break them. That last game could make or break a lot of guys. So I'm not I'm, I'm just not sure I like the three-game preseason. Maybe it's enough for coaches. I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm not a scout. I, I, I can't answer that for them. I'm sure they've, they've, they had their say in this. At least they were asked about it. But the 17-game season, it feels too long to me. I like the 16-game format over 17 weeks with a bye week. I'm fine with that. I just feel like it's it, we're dragging football on longer than it has to be. And that's hard to say because, you know, 
I love. I, I live and breathe football during the season. Even the offseason, I'm still living and breathing football. But, you know, it just it just feels like it's going to be dragged on. And here's, here's where it really gets hairy. Because there's a lot of fans that are going to say, yeah, like, I want the three-game preseason, reduce that preseason. I'm okay with the 17-game season. But there's a lot of fans out there who are not going to be in favor of a 17 playoff format. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The NFL wants to expand from 16 per conference, six teams per conference, to seven teams per conference. And keep in mind, there's only 16 teams in each conference. That means just almost half the teams in each conference are going to make the playoffs. And, you know, I don't like that. From a football standpoint, from a game standpoint, I, I just don't like that. I just don't. Now, here's the reasoning. The playoffs are an exclusive club, okay? Good teams have to get in the playoffs. We can't have playoff scenarios where consistently now, 7-9, and nine, or actually it'd be what, like 8-9, and nine, or whatever the heck it's going to be now with that extra game. Eight and nine teams, let's say, get into the playoffs and just get trounced. Or nine and eight, or I, I just don't like that. Um, the guys are going to get trounced, okay? We're allowing mediocrity into the playoffs. It, it just doesn't feel as exclusive as it used to. I mean, getting to the playoffs is the ultimate goal of every regular season team. Every postseason team wants to win the Super Bowl. But it's hard to get to the playoffs. It's very hard to get to the playoffs. You have only four teams winning a division. In each conference, you get two wild card teams. That's it. You expand it to three wild card teams. I mean, then the middle, the only teams not making it, are is the one that's square, one or two squarely in the middle of the pack, and the bad teams. But there's going to be a lot of instances where, you know, most of the conference is bad, and that bad team is going to get in. Okay, we saw the Carolina Panthers do this once because the NFC South was so bad, a 7-9 team was able to make the playoffs. You know, that's just not good. And then, you know, the Eagles, right, making the playoffs this year, what were they, 9-7? and seven? I mean, they weren't that bad, but the Cowboys flunked it. You know, there's just, it, I just, I just don't like seven teams in the playoffs per conference. 14 teams out of 32. And there's only one way, there's only one, I'm telling you right now, there's only one way the NFL is seriously considering this. There's only one reason they're doing it. They have to be thinking expansion. Because why would you add a seventh team per conference into the playoffs if you're not thinking expansion? Just to water down the playoffs for no reason? Playoff numbers on television are still great. No one's tuning out the playoffs because their team isn't in. Probably more people are watching. I don't know the numbers myself, but I would imagine more people are watching the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs than they're not than they're watching them not in the playoffs. Maybe the NFL figures they can get two extra games of, of ad revenue or whatever it would be, three, four, however I didn't do the math. But however many extra games of ad revenue, maybe that's their plan. But no. I'm 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 willing to bet that the NFL is using this to think about expansion in the future because they want to have more games, they want to have more playoff teams. If you make the conferences 18 18 team conferences with you know four extra teams, it's not that far off to think about. Toronto, Mexico City, London, 
St. Louis. Give St. Louis another team. Boom, that's four right there. You do all those. And now it's starting to look, you know, like it makes more sense. So that's just my hypothesis here. It just it just feels like that's what's going to happen. But with the CBA, you know, with these these players, a lot of them demanding that they get 50% of league revenue. And I I completely understand why they want that. Because without the NFL, I mean, without the players, there is no NFL, okay? I completely get that. I think they should be paid very highly. You know, people say all the time, oh, why should a professional athlete get $100 million and a neurosurgeon, well, I mean, a neurosurgeon makes a lot, but let's say a heart surgeon, you know, $500,000 a year. That's not fair. Well, how many people can run like Lamar Jackson in the world versus how many people can go to medical school? It's all about supply and demand. There's not enough Lamar Jacksons out there, you know, to make him a $500,000 person. It's, it, or not $500,000 person, but $500,000, you know, work salary person, that kind of thing. It's just simple supply and demand. So these NFL players actually deserve as much money as they can pretty much get because there's no one else that can really do the work they're doing. So this 48% versus 50%, it's gonna, it's going to um, be a huge clashing point. And you have to remember, because it might a 2% might not seem like a lot to us from an outsider's perspective, but the NFL is a multi-billion dollar league making billions a year. 2% of billions and billions of dollars is a lot of money for a lot of players. And it's not just players on the top benefiting from getting that increase. And this, this CBA actually does a lot for some of the lower guys. And we're going to get into that right now, actually. Um, it increases league minimum salaries. $100,000 more per year for rookies in 2020. Another fifty k in 2021. And plus $45,000 in 2022 in each year after that. From the current contract standpoint. That is going to make a lot of rookies a lot of money. Right there. It's going to make... A big, Undrafted rookies that make the team, boom, that's like 500k. Because the, the current one's almost 400, I believe. It's around 400,000. It's about 500k right there for an undrafted rookie. And, and and I mean, these guys are working hard. 500,000 a, a life-changing amount of money for a lot of these guys. Because you got to remember, a lot of college players have no money. One of the biggest criticisms of the NCAA, whether you agree with it or not, is that they don't pay players. Okay. Someone who could, I mean, there's plenty of cases at the NCAA of players growing up in poverty, not having very much money, barely getting through school with that scholarship even, you know, and then going to the NFL and even a league minimum contract of $500,000. Think about that to yourself. I'm going to guess that very few of my listeners make $500,000 a year or above. That's a lot of money. And that's life-changing for even just a year. So that's I think that's a great thing for the rookies to have that. I think um, that another increase of 50K in 2021, it's very good. I just, I like paying these guys. I just like paying these guys. If, if we can, if the NFL can afford to pay it, the NFL should be paying these guys if, instead of pocketing all of the cash. Now, that's not to say owners and, and league personnel shouldn't make money. If they're doing a very good job, I think they should make a lot of money too. But the players are the baseline of this entire league. Um, 
league minimum for non-rookies, plus 90K in 2020, 80 to 150K in 2021. The wording was kind of strange. I think that they're going to figure that out later, plus 45K per year after that. So another good thing there for league minimum players. The players are getting additional benefits and bonuses. I'm not going to go super far deep into what benefits, health benefits and bonuses, but there's a little controversy about that. I think that the players are pushing for full life. And I'm not talking life insurance. I'm talking about benefits for the rest of their life from the NFL. Um, I don't know if the NFL could afford that. We'll have to see on that one. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they probably can afford a lot of it, but I don't know for the rest of their lives. I don't know. And if honestly, if the player is making... 500 if the player makes 500 million dollars over the course of his career which is pretty um unrealistic let's say he makes 200 million or whatever the heck it is like Flacco did okay yeah he could probably pay for his own insurance but guys that don't make that much maybe can't so I'm I'm not sure where I stand on that but benefit whatever the NFL can give the NFL should give as much of it as possible to these guys. Additional cap room in 2021 if and only if the 17 games are implemented and some sort of media kicker does not reach 48.5%. That's the 48.5 I was getting. Um, I don't know what a media kicker is. I was trying to find information on that. I could not find anything on that. So anybody who wants to tell me or, or knows, please let me know. Performance-based pay increase to... Uh, 8.5 million in 2020 and 10 million in 2021. Honestly, I I just I like it when when the league benefits. I'm sorry, when the league yeah when the league benefits players who are performing well. Because I mean it just it just adds the extra incentive. I'm 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 really happy every time they do that something like that. Just give players more reason to do well. Like, yeah, they should have a base salary. But if they're doing well, they should be paid more, in my opinion, than someone not doing so well. I mean, I don't think the NFLPA would ever allow a contract fully on on guarantees to happen, right? Like if if Lamar Jackson said, okay, you know, I want to do my uh, my contract only if I win the Super Bowl can I make X amount of money, right? I mean, guarantees are in contracts, but let's say he he takes a two million dollar salary with a fifty million price tag on a Super Bowl. You know, I don't, I don't know if that became commonplace. That the NFLPA would be happy about something like that um, because it would probably lower a lot of players' actual salaries. But it would be kind of cool to see, you know, more and more, at least from a fan's perspective, more and more performance-based pay increases to these players. Um, and the another increase in performance-based pay is the fifth-year option, believe it or not. The fifth-year option under this new CBA would be fully guaranteed, actually, in the fourth and fifth years at the time the option is exercised. So the player's money is fully guaranteed at that point. But the value of the options are now tied to performance under this new CBA instead of where they were picked. All fifth-round options prior to this new CBA, and remember, this is still yet to be implemented, are tied to where the player was picked. So if you're a first-round pick, a high first-round pick, let's say you're the first overall pick, you make more money on your fifth-year option than the fifth overall pick, than the tenth, and so on and so on down the line. But here's the problem with that. So many first-round picks are busts. And maybe the team wants to keep them around. Like, let's say Brashad Perryman, a perfect example of the Ravens, Brashad Perryman. He's a guy, okay, that we are witnessing now doing well. With the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He did well with Tampa Bay. He did well with Cleveland. He did not do well at all with Ravens. 
with Baltimore after they picked him. It was absolutely terrible. One of the most horrendous flops I've, I've ever seen. But if the Ravens were able to tender him or give him an option on a performance-based pay, and we don't know what these numbers are, but you'd have to wonder. They didn't give him the option. They, didn't ex- they did not execute his option. But you have to wonder if it was tied to performance and it was much lower. Let's say it was very low compared to what it would be for, where was he picked, like 20-something? or I don't remember where he was picked. But let's assume it was 25 because the Ravens are always picking around 25, it feels like. Let's see, he was, yeah, picked 25. And let's just assume it's a $5 million um, fifth-year option or whatever it is. But let's say under the performance one, it was a $2 million fifth-year option. The Ravens have to look at that differently at that point. And then maybe Brashad Perriman gets that second chance, and maybe he balls out like he did in Cleveland and in Tampa Bay. Okay? I am really like the performance-based fifth-year options, not only from a team standpoint to give guys a second chance who aren't performing right away, higher draft picks, but what about lower first-round picks? Like, let's say Lamar Jackson, perfect example. From that 2018 draft class, okay, who went before him? Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, um, Sam Darnold. All those four quarterbacks picked way ahead of Lamar Jackson. Under the current CBA, if if the if the Cleveland Browns, if the, well, not Arizona Cardinals now, if whoever Josh Rosen is on in 2020 or wherever he, he'll be by the time his fifth-year option is able to be exercised, the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills exercise all those fifth-year options, they would be more, they would give those quarterbacks more money than Lamar Jackson gets from his 32nd pick, the final pick in the first round. And remember, only fifth-round picks, I'm sorry, only first-round picks get that fifth-year option. And let's say that it happens, right? All these guys get more money. Now, is that fair to Lamar Jackson, who undisputed MVP, basically unanimous? I think he was voted unanimously the MVP. Unanimous MVP. Is that fair to him? Let's say no other player in this wins the MVP race in the next few years before their fifth-year option can be exercised. Actually, I think it's after next year, believe it or not. Performance-wise, Lamar Jackson should make a ton more money than Baker Mayfield, but under the current CBA, even if the Browns aren't really that great with Baker Mayfield, they view him as a decent enough quarterback to be their quarterback, they will spend more money on him. He will get more money just from being the first pick. Now, that's just not fair because Lamar Jackson's doing better than Baker Mayfield. So this is, I like this from both angles because players who outperform other players get better pay and teams get to give guys second chances that maybe wouldn't have got the second chances. So it's a win-win from both sides. Um... Moving on now, performance-based pay. We did that. Uh, original round tenders are getting $100,000 extra dollars if they're um, given that tender, and then $250,000 extra, $250, extra for second and third round tenders placed on restricted free agents. That's cool for those guys making more money there. Practice squad players are getting a raise 10.5k per week extra for practice squad players. You know, I, I just kind of want to get on the practice squad now. 10.5K a week. Holy. Plus, I think they're already making, well, the minimum. there's a minimum. There's some paid um, 
there are some that, that are paid differently, right? Maurice Kennedy, for instance, was making upwards of 30k a week on the Ravens practice squad, which, I mean, for an NFL player, that's not a lot of money, but for an average plebeian college student like me, I want to get on an NFL practice squad. Uh, but that's good. I like giving these practice squad players some money because, you know what, their future in the NFL is not guaranteed. Most of these guys are not going to make teams after this point. Giving them more money to be on that team, I mean, it's an opportunity. It allows them um, also to have some more financial gain from that. And over the 17 weeks on the practice squad, if you're on a practice squad for 17 weeks, that's a lot of money you just made. It's over $100,000 more. So that's pretty darn good for them. And the total number of players on the practice squad is being increased from 12 to 14, which I like. It gives more people opportunity, which I just, I love it when more people get opportunities in the NFL. I love it everywhere. You know, so many times, I, I have to say, okay, before I go on, I love undrafted free agents because so many times do we see undrafted free agents, Gus Edwards, for instance, okay, not given a real shot. And I knew, I knew Gus Edwards was good. Because I had watched him at Rutgers, as I've mentioned many times. You know, guys not given a shot, being given a shot on the practice squad, end up being put on the roster for whatever reason. I think Gus Edwards was put on because they just wanted some change at the running back position from, I think it was DeLance Turner at the time. Maybe he was hurt, I don't remember. But he gets put on, and he, he makes his mark. He does really well. And if you extend that from 12 to 14, well, now the possibilities for more better, for more undrafted free agents and more low-round picks, more guys bouncing around the league to find homes is so much better. And it makes it a better league with better players. It makes it better for the players trying to make these teams. It's just better. See, this is the part of the CBA I really like. I like a lot of these monetary things. The 48%, that's not my place to say whether the players deserve 40 versus 50 the players have to figure that out themselves okay they have the final say on the cba there's no lockout coming by the way because the cba is, is, is i think good through march or may or something like that plus training camp doesn't start, start till july so even if there was a theoretical lockout it wouldn't be that bad until july um so it's if this is denied it'll go through another revision okay these happen all the time. This is supposed to take us, I think, through 10 years is what the num- the, the reported um, number is, 10 years on the CBA. So that wouldn't, I mean, it would give us a long time before another one has to be filed, agreed upon, which is why this is a huge um, story. But again, I like a lot of these money things. I like a lot. I, li- I love the practice squad additions. Um, it's just the paying the, the players more money as much as they can here. Interesting enough, oh, the options, and the performance-based pay, the options, performance-based pay, all that's great. But interesting enough, the pay is now going to be over a 34-week period, not just the 17 weeks. I'm not sure exactly why the NFLPA wants to do that. Um, At least from my perspective, I'd want all my money in a shorter period of time, not 34 weeks. If I can have my entire contract in 17 weeks, you bet I want it in 17 weeks. So I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I misread this. But the pay is going to be over a 34-week period under this new CBA, not 17. That's kind of a strange one for me. And there's an increase in pay for all off-season activities too. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, But I'm not exactly sure. And here's a really interesting one, which the wording is a little strange. But the league is going to take gambling revenue 
um, which supposedly is going to fund down the players. I'm not exactly sure if that's 100% correct, but essentially that's what it was saying in the actual text of the CBA. We didn't actually we don't have the contract. I couldn't find the official contract, but a memo was was being given out by the NFLPA to players and media members, and that's how we got this information. But something about gambling league looking into taking revenue for it and paying the players. If that's true, okay, and listen, I'm not a fan of gambling. I don't gamble. I mean, I kind of want to gamble on the Ravens. I feel like eventually I'll put down $100 on the Ravens every year just to, if they win, make it even better for me kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of gambling in the world. But if the NFL takes the money, they have to figure out that moral dilemma for themselves. Um, but it will benefit players because there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of money in, in sports gambling and if they f- they figure out a way to funnel in some money the players will probably be making a lot more than they are right now so that's going to be interesting to watch now another thing i really 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 love about this new cba this new um collective bargaining agreement is what they're doing about suspensions now we all know the memes the jokes about roger goodell's wheel of suspensions where he looks at ray rice gives him two game suspension and then josh gordon for smoking marijuana a full year indefinite suspension forever you're being framed for murder type of thing you know it's very uneven the nfl is very uneven in the way it hands out suspensions it always has been under roger goodell and that's why this collective bargaining agreement is honestly, it's really funny, but it's really good. Because it's essentially proposing that Roger Goodell does not have the authority he used to have. He will only have authority over integrity of the game matters. Stuff like Gate, things that happen during games that question the integrity of the NFL. Cheating scandals, what the Houston Astros did. If that was an NFL thing, that's something Roger Goodell could handle. Okay? But for all other matters, a neutral decision maker will be appointed for suspensions. The commissioner, as Tom Pelissero said, is no longer under the CBA the judge, jury, and executioner. Which, in my opinion, is... That's, that's, that's perfect, okay? That's what we need. We don't want Roger Goodell spinning the wheel where it lands on, oh, you smoked marijuana? Yeah, we are going to frame you for murder. We're going to throw you in jail, and your life is going to be ruined because... This guy over here that did something even worse, he's only getting two games. Like, that's just how we assume the NFL's work because no one actually knows why Roger Goodell does the things Roger Goodell does. Nobody knows. This is going to at least, first of all, get it away from Goodell, but all other commissioners too. Someone is going to be making these suspensions. Um, that's not Roger Goodell. Someone supposedly neutral. Now, I'd like a, I'd like a panel system. Like two or three, three people is probably ideal, making these decisions, talking them over, voting on them type of thing. So I think consolidating the power within one man is still a problem because the NFL, I mean, they still could have issues with, with bad suspensions, with uneven suspensions, with suspensions that make no sense or whatever. It's still going to happen if one man is doing it, but it would probably get, I mean, it, it, inevitably a situation would arise under or a three-panel system, but a three-person panel, but at least we'd probably have it more rare and that there'd be more conversations had, and I think that'd be a better thing. 
Um, but here's the other interesting thing. It, this CBA also proposes the reducing of penalties for players who test positive for TCH. And for the uninitiated, TCH is essentially just what picks up cannabis in the system. Marijuana, weed, the devil's lettuce, whatever you'd like to call it. Now, I don't know, and, I, and I'm not going to tell you whether or not smoking marijuana is a very good thing to do. You know, personally, I would never do it myself. It's not my kind of thing. But we have to respect the fact that there are a lot of states out there, Colorado leading the way, that have legalized marijuana. And, you know, medical marijuana is legal in a ton of states as well. So, my point is, first of all, there's a couple scenarios. Let's say a player gets a medical marijuana prescription for whatever reason you know it's not our business but let's say he does it legally through a doctor jumps through all the right hoops and he gets it he uses it bam nfl banhammer coming down on them with the current cba it was completely legal in a state he didn't do anything illegal it doesn't enhance his performance in any way unless we're missing something about marijuana I mean, there are tons of bad effects of marijuana. There's no question. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole stereotype of the, the stupid pothead, right? Stereotypes like that probably exist for a reason. There have been studies done showing that marijuana can affect your thinking patterns, especially if you start smoking at a young age. So I can see the reasons the NFL would want to limit it. Um, but these are changing times. These are times when states are legalizing this and the NFL is still punishing players who do it in states that are legal. What about Josh Gordon? Okay. There are players in the league. Everyone remembers what Greg Hardy did to his girlfriend. Okay. That's terrible. There are guys in this league who have done things far worse than Josh Gordon has ever done. The only reason Josh Gordon gets in trouble is, as Stephen A says, he cannot stay off the weed. That's the only problem. So under this new CBA, this new collective bargaining agreement, players like Josh Gordon would not get the indefinite suspensions he has gotten in the past. And it would be reviewed even if he still qualified for the suspension because you can still get suspended for TCH, I believe. I'm sorry, you can't get suspended by games. You can still get punished. But even those decisions wouldn't even be made by the commissioner. Who, in all honesty, does have a vested interest in making sure certain guys don't play. Certain guys the NFL does not want to play, like Josh Gordon, putting supposedly bad examples for children, for families, because the NFL still wants to be a company that can attract these audiences. They have a vested interest in making sure he doesn't play. That's just a fact. A neutral decision maker would have less of a reason to do that. He is not in charge of the NFL and does not look at the financial numbers of the NFL, even care about them, even if he sees them. Or it could be a she. It could be Condoleezza Rice, who's been rumored to take over the NFL for years now. Um, So that's the interesting thing on suspensions. And finally, we're going to get to the training camp. Everything about training camps on here. I'm not so crazy about all these things. The only thing I really like is the new five-day acclimation period, if I'm correct on what that means, because remember, we only got this in a memo, it'd be like a five-day, like, almost like an orientation, 
for training camp where players kind of get back into the groove, which I think would be pretty useful, especially if, if you know, it's been a long offseason and, and, you know, you've participated in the workouts, sure, but it's not it's not training camp, which is completely different for those of you that watch Hard Knocks. Um, but the other one's 2.5-hour limit on padded and full-speed practices in training camp. I mean, okay, limit of 16 days in pads. I, I just don't really like the restrictions of the practices. I, I want to make sure the league still has the best football, and I know it's going to, but I just don't like all these restrictions on practices. Three-day weekend at the end of camp, I don't I don't know why they 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 need that. I, I feel like just a, an extra day on the weekend, okay. Two days off on the first week, one day after. That's kind of cool for the, for the players here. Uh, limits joint practices to four of the preseason is only three games. I'm just honestly not crazy about these training camp um, innovations, let's say. I just don't feel like they're really innovating anything except kind of restricting it. But that's what the players are probably going to want. They've always wanted less practice, less opportunities to be injured, really, is what it is. Um, but overall, that's that's this whole CBA there. I think it's very important we went over it. Overall, you know, the, the things I like, the things I don't like, I don't want the CBA to be accepted. And really, the main, the only reason, really, is these gameplay, quote-unquote, innovations. I'm, I'm not liking a 17-game season. I just don't like a 17-game season. I do not. I despise the seven playoff teams per conference format. I just don't like that. I don't want to have a a losing team in the playoff every year because you know what's going to happen. Because if nine and seven teams are getting in regularly as a wild card, you know losing teams are going to get in. It's just it's going to be a fact of life in the NFL. An 8-9 team with a 17-game season is going to walk into the playoffs and get smoked. Or go on a magical Super Bowl run, maybe, but, you know, most likely get smoked. The three-game preseason I'm okay with, but I kind of like the four-game preseason. It's just, I mean, maybe it's just tradition for me at this point, but I do like evaluating players in the preseason. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to getting rid of a game, but it just feels kind of weird. The money stuff I'm pretty happy about, other than that 48% of the revenue, I it's up to the players if, if they feel they want the 50%. I get it. I understand it completely. You know, I, I can't really make that judgment from their shoes. But for everything else, it seems like it'd be a very good thing um, here. The suspensions I'm wildly crazy about. If nothing else happens from this CBA, if this is scrapped and only one section can come back, please let it be the suspensions because, I mean, listen... Roger Goodell, that wheel of suspensions, it's got to go. And this is proposing something that would make it go away. At least his impact go away, maybe whoever they appoint as the, the special, what is it, the, the special decision maker, the neutral decision maker, might just be as bad, but at least it's not Roger Goodell. The training camp, obviously, I'm not so great about. Um, so I, I just don't want the CBA to be accepted. Just, I mean, it's really the gameplay innovations just grab those and the cba is pretty darn nice especially the financial side and the suspensions i again i love as I, I, I those um oh, incentives the performance-based incentives i love that i think it's great for both sides i think the suspension system is awesome in this too but that 17 game season that seven playoff team i just i i just 
can't sign off on that. I just can't do it. But that is the CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement. Who knows when it's actually going to be uh, debated in, in the NFLPA, voted on. Maybe before the Combine. I don't know what the official timetable is. I don't think we have an official timetable. I mean, these are fluid negotiations. There's a very good chance it's going to be given a big, fat stamp no and sent back to the owners and the people to rework it. But if it does get accepted, we'd see some radical changes in the NFL. And let me know what you think. Are these radical changes good? Do you think any of these changes would be very good for the league? Let me know what you like, what you dislike, what you want added in. Maybe there's something the NFL is leaving out that you think is crucial for the NFL's survival over the next 5 to 10 years. That has to be in the new CBA. Maybe you have the answer here, and we can phone in to Goodell's office and tell him that our Nest Talk fan base came up with something amazing, and it'll be implemented. Who knows? So let me know what you think on the collective bargaining agreement. But, of course, there's actual Ravens news to talk about. Um, and, of course, I guess the, the, the collective bargaining agreement is inherently Ravens news because it's the NFL, and the Ravens are a huge portion of the NFL. I mean, they're 1 out of 32, but... They're the Baltimore Ravens, the NFL's best team, in the opinion of all the Ravens flock, at least. But there's some important Ravens news to discuss. 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 And we're going to start out with, I mean, none of these are really that great to talk about, but the James Hurst suspension is stupid, okay? He's now gotten in trouble for violating the league's performance-enhancing substances policy. And all i got to say to James Hurst is, what are you doing? Just why? And why are you doing it? Doesn't make any sense. You are a player that is already on the roster bubble, let me remind you. You're not getting playtime. You're on the roster bubble. You can't afford to do this. You cannot afford to mess up like this. He messed up. Whatever it is, he messed up. I don't know what this substance was. We're probably not even ever going to know unless he comes out and says it in an interview or something. And he's been suspended four games. And that's, that ain't good. That is not good for our man James Hurst here. He is a guy, and look, I I think he provides value to the Ravens still. I, I've always thought a versatile offensive lineman like him provides very decent services for whatever team he's employed by because he can play inside he can play outside he can play tackle guard center whatever he you need to play he can do it he's a very good guy to have as your sixth or seventh offensive lineman someone who's active for all the games you just plug and play him if you get an injury he's the kind of guy that it's just going to work but a four-game suspension after he lost the battle he wasn't really even considered for center okay there was talk but he wasn't taking reps at center. The Ravens knew he wasn't going to do it. He was a, a flop at tackle. He was, he was, I mean, he wasn't that bad at tackle, but he wasn't good. He was okay at guard. That's really where he's okay. But he's not impressed the Ravens. The Ravens, they have been powers now. You know, young young people in this, in this roster, in this offensive lineman roster. We're looking at him. And he's the odd man out. This voids a huge amount from his contract. Guaranteed money. Down the drain. I don't think the Ravens are guaranteed to give him anything in 2020 because of the suspension. They can cut him today and save all the money. All of it. 
And when you look at his contract, I'm pretty darn sure, as I'm trying to pull up right now, that it's up after 2020. It's gone. So what incentive do the Ravens actually have to keep James Hurst around anymore? I'm sorry, it's up after 2021. But the Ravens can save all the money because he voids it from that suspension. At least that's what I've been told. Spontrack doesn't have that updated now, but that was supposedly what's in the contract. They don't have to pay this man. But should they pay this man? Now they're going to keep him on the roster at least through training camp. I don't have any questions about that. But a four-game suspension for a backup offensive lineman when other offensive linemen will undoubtedly be available. He's the odd man out. He's not a starter. He doesn't have a chance of starting. The Ravens are... Have, this ship has sailed. He won't be a starter. He's getting older. He's 28 currently. So there's a huge, huge chance he's not on the Ravens next year. And a lot of it has to do with this stupid decision to get yourself in a situation like this where you get suspended for four games when your future is on the line. It's just dumb. He should not have done that. But he did. Now, the other piece of Ravens news we have to talk about here, of course, is the Ravens moving on from Tony Jefferson. And, you know, like most Ravens fans, it's it's not difficult to look at this with an objective point of view. I mean, everybody in Baltimore... Everybody who remotely knows what's going on in Baltimore with in Owings Mills with the Ravens knows Tony Jefferson was a hard worker. They loved all of us like Tony Jefferson. All of us like him. His teammates love him. The coaches love him. The executives love him. He's just the guy you want to have in the building. He loved being a Raven. He loved the hard work that went into it. That's just the dude he was. This is the dude, my, lest you forget that turned down more money with the Cleveland Browns to be a Baltimore Raven. Tony Jefferson's got my respect forever for that one. I mean, he's he's never, I will never slander Tony Jefferson. He's just a good dude, all around a good dude. No one's ever said a bad thing about him. Unless you're, you count a troll on Twitter here and there. But, you know, looking at this objectively, it's not hard to see why this decision was made. It's not. And, you know, we we basically all of us saw it coming. When he got injured and Chuck Clark stepped into that role with the green dot and performed very well, if not better than Tony Jefferson, we knew just like that it was over. Just like that. He did not live up to the contract he was given. He was due $12 million this year. And he just wasn't performing well. He performed poorly in 2017, to put it lightly. 2018, he improved. I don't think there's any question that he improved in 2018, moving around in the box a little bit more. 2019, he gets a new safety partner in Old Thomas, and it just is not working. It was not working. Everybody remembers the Cleveland Browns game, week four. It was a disaster. A complete disaster. Safeties were off the wall bad. Earl Thomas even was bad in that game. Everybody was bad in that game. And then the Ravens, of course, put together a string of wins. But Tony Jefferson, he just was not feeling it this year. It was not his year. The injury made things worse. 
as I said in, the, in previous episodes, we could have used him against the Titans, I think, as a box safety, someone who's good at tackling. Maybe he would have been able to help us with Derrick Henry. But other than that, the Ravens were not missing Tony Jefferson when he went out. It's not nice to say, but it's the cold truth. The Ravens did not miss him. They had Chuck Clark. They moved on. And once he filled that role well, and he once he was given the green dot, it was over. And for those that are unaware, the green dot um, is the, the coach-to-helmet communication to relay plays to the defense. You know, the, the quarterback always has the green dot for the offense. Someone's got to have it on defense. So it used to be Mosley. For a time, it was Weddle. Both those guys gone. Tony had it, but then Chuck Clark gets it. Or did Tony have it? Someone had it, but Chuck Clark got it. Um, and that was it. That was it. Did not live up to that $12 million price tag. The Ravens save, I think it's like 7 point... I wrote it down. I wrote this one down, guys. $7.49 million in cap space. I finally wrote something down that I should have... That I almost forgot to wrote down, so there you go. Um... And, of course, Chuck Clark's ex- contract extension averages 5.3 per year or something like that. Um, the number is still – there were conflicting reports on the number. But it covers that contract completely, gives the Ravens more cap space to work with. It was just time, and they had to move on. They just didn't have a choice. Somebody's going to pick him up. He's still a good player. I mean, he provides value to a team that needs him in the box where he really belongs. The Ravens at first tried to fit him. Where he did not belong kind of moved him down, but then it was apparent it wasn't working in 2019, and then the injury happened. So Tony Jefferson moving on, and it's bittersweet because, again, a lot of Ravens fans, a lot of players absolutely would, I mean, would die for the guy. I mean, he was just a great presence in Baltimore, and it is sad to see him go, but you know, an era of Ravens football has to end. The era of Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson is over. It's now the Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark era, and we'll see how that plays out over the next few years because I have no doubt Chuck Clark is going to do well. He proved me wrong. I, I once said that he should be a surefire cut after the 2017 draft. That was dumb. I've gotten better at analyzing prospects, I have to say. I've called some good ones. Um, but no, seriously, Tony Jefferson, I mean, Godspeed to you, brother. If you're listening to this, I really hope you find somewhere good to go. And hope you consider yourself a Raven for life. And I know you do. Um, because for some reason, this organization, when players leave, it's, it's just not the same. You always hear it. There's something special about this organization. It's leadership from the top down. It was Art Modell, now Steve Bishotti. But Ozzie Newsome, I mean, the stability this team has had, the, the, the relationships it's built, it's really something special. And I think everybody inside that organization, a lot of the outside observers like, like us, understand that so it, it it's very hard to make that decision sometimes but you have to make you have to make the right decision for the team that's what it ultimately is it's about the team and Tony Jefferson was a casualty and of course there could be more casualties on their way Michael Pierce running into free agency Matt Judon running into free agency Brandon Williams contract being so high I don't know when the Ravens can try to lower that if if if, if ever um but, you know, there are guys out there on the Ravens right now that we want back that are not going to be back this year. And Tony Jefferson's the first one to drop, but I, I guarantee you someone else, I don't know who it is, but someone else will probably suffer a, a, a similar fate as Tony Jefferson. So we'll see what happens. Now the Stout and Combine 
important here, scouting combine starts February 24th. Some important dates before the next episode of Nest Talk. February 24th, scouting combine starts February 25th. Teams can begin to apply franchise tags. There's a lot of talk about Judon being tagged and then potentially traded. If we're going to tag him, we should just keep him. I don't understand why we would trade him. We have tons of space available for the salary cap. I think it's about 35 now. Um, I mean, it's not tons of space, but it's a good chunk. Judon's a very good player. I don't. I. I. Re, I mean, I really just want Judon back in the purple and black. I want him on a long-term contract here. I think he's a very good player. He's a very good presence on this team. We need stability with the the edge rush group, and we were not going to get it if we let him go. I mean, I like Jalen Ferguson. I like Tyus Bowser more than ever now. He's improved. But Judon's really the anchor, and we need that anchor, and we're not going to get it if we let him go, obviously. So the Ravens have the chance to tag him, and look, they had the chance to tag Mosley last year. They let him go. The tag would have actually been less expensive, the less expensive option for him uh, to keep him. So um, maybe that will rub off on the Ravens this year, thinking about the tag long term. NFL Combine ends March 2nd. So this week, we will try to focus some attention on the Combine as it's going on um, and bring you some articles. And, of course, we'll talk about the Combine on the podcast. I'm, I'm planning on having Dominic back on from a few weeks ago. If you remember, Dominic came on the show, Ravens Anatomy, as he goes by on Twitter, came on the show, and we talked about the, the offseason plan for the Ravens. I want to talk to him about what he sees at the Combine. So we'll have that next episode of Nest Talk next Friday. And if you look at that, the hour is basically gone 53 and a half minutes into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this week's episode of Nest Talk. But you better come back next week. And this is not a suggestion. You have to be here next week. We got Dominic coming back on the show to talk about the the NFL Combine. Well, if the CBA is agreed upon, we'll talk about that. So it should be a fun show next week. Hopefully we have some more Ravens interesting information to give out. One thing before I we go, John Harbaugh not expected to show up to the Combine. Um, he's having surgery, so if John or anybody that knows John, if you're listening to this, uh, Ravens flock, praying for you, dude. Uh, get through whatever surgery you have to. doesn't seem like it's that major. Just don't want to go to the Combine afterwards. But we got EDC Eric DaCosta over there, Ozzy Newsom taking care of it anyway. And, of course, uh, you'll get all the information when you are ready for it. So good luck, John Harbaugh, um, on that. And... With that, we're going to end the episode, so thank you once again for tuning in to Nest Talk. Episode 66 recorded on February 20th, 2020. It is now 11.13 in the evening, and this is Chris Linfont for the Baltimore Feather signing off. We will see you next week back on Friday. Take care, everybody. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com.